All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Green Room Podcast on the Handshake Agency Network. Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, it is a good one because I am joined by, well, I'm joined by music royalty in the form of Alan McGee. For those who may not be aware, Alan McGee is the founder of Creation Records. Uh, their bands include Primal Scream, The Jesus and Mary Chain, My Bloody Valentine, and a little band called Oasis. Due to the success of that label, Alan now has a biopic about him. It's called Creation Stories. It's out in Australian cinemas on April 15th. So this film is done by the team behind Trainspotting, obviously a cult classic film. Irvin Welsh, who wrote the novel Trainspotting, read Alan's 2014 autobiography and desperately wanted to make a movie about this. So he did. It's executive produced by Danny Boyle, of course, who is just a directing god. Uh, and Creation Stories is about the story of Alan's life from a young age all the way through to success with Creation Records and beyond. So I'm joined by Alan on this episode, who was kind enough to wake up in an early London morning to talk about this film. I can't wait for people to see it. It's so good. Here is Alan McGee on the Green Room Podcast. Alan McGee, welcome to the Green Room Podcast, sir. Hey, mate. How are you? Very good. How are you? Uh, I've only just got up, so I'm a little bit phased. I don't have to get coffee, so... Um, I don't know how it'll go, but I suppose it'll go all right because I'm used to making it. Okay, just for the sake of transparency, where are you right now and what time is it? Uh, it's about eight in the morning um, and it's eight, I'm in London. Oh, wow. Okay. How, how's everything going over there at the moment? I know we, we had, uh, well, we've recorded an interview with Eddie Izzard and she, uh, she gave me a bit of a rundown how things are, are going there. How's, how are things on your end? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, it's like, I mean, I've enjoyed lockdown. Yeah, I mean, um, I lost loads of weight, um, and um, you know, it's, it's like Britain. I mean, we haven't done very much well during the lockdown, but we actually got the vaccine sorted. So it's like I've got no, I've got zero problem with what's going on, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I don't know if you know how things are doing in Australia, but we seem to be doing relatively okay, all things considered. Um, the vaccines are now being rolled out. Is there a sense of optimism over there? Are, are, are people even discussing the idea of going out, whether that be to a, a live show or, or a football match? Yeah, I think people just want it to be done. Now, you know, we've been in it over a year. Um, I mean, luckily, I mean, the Tories usually get it wrong. I hate them, to be honest. But it's like, <laughs> They've actually got this one thing right. I can't actually slag them off for it. Do you know what I mean? You know, because they've got the vaccines out and, you know, we're going to get, we are actually going to get back to normal life. This is a, a weird time to have a movie come out about your life. Um, first yeah. of all, congratulations on the film. I, I finished watching it for a second time today. Uh, really incredible. I can't wait for people to see this. Uh, for those who might not know, this is obviously the movie is based on your life and your 2013 memoir. Is that right? Yeah, it's based on my book, man. Yeah, yeah. I wrote the book and Evan Welsh liked it. Uh, wanted to make a film of it. I thought he was mad. But <laughs> you understand, I've known Evan Welsh since before. Uh, he was famous. I've known him since '91, and he was only kind of well known in, in Edinburgh at that time. And then Train Spotting became bigger and bigger and bigger. It became an international hit in '95, '96. But I was friends with him because I managed Primal Screen. and um, so we knew him really well. Uh, I've been I've, I've, so I've known the guy thirty years. Um, and then after I put the book out, he really liked. It. He wanted to to make it into a film. I was a bit like, I don't know. A girl called Shelley Hammond, the producer, she jumped on it. 
who she'd never any experience of being a film producer. It was kind of remarkable, but she actually started pulling it together. She's done fantastic. Um, at that point, I got offered Ewan McGregor to play me, you know, because Irvin's mates with everybody. Irvin's the connecting guy that's made this happen. Mm. And uh, and he he sort of said, what are you and McGregor? I said, I look like this. I don't look like you and McGregor. <laughs> I actually look like I'm from Scotland, right? Ewan McGregor looks as if he comes from Stockholm. Do you know what I mean? He's another spot. Scottish guys are like little gingery guys. They mostly lose their hair. They're mostly a little bit fat. Yeah. And that's kind of what I, I mean, okay, I've got skinny again, but it's like, <laughs> at the end of the day, I kind of look Scottish. Ewan looks as if he comes from Stockholm. So he didn't get it. I suppose we basically judged against his good looks and he never got the gig. Uh, and then two days later, Irvin went, what about Spud? And I went, that'll actually work. He kind of looks like me. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it just would work. He's a brilliant actor. We got Ewan. He's, he's a great guy. And then a few months later, he said, what about getting Nick Moran? And that was a hard sell, to be absolutely honest. Mm. Uh, because I hate these Guy Ritchie movies with Snatch and... Um, Locks up, hate them. You I hate, hate Snatch? Talk. Yeah, yeah, it's horrible, man. And, it is, and I, I hate it. And uh, so I, I was not having Nick Moran at first, but then I met him and he's a total artist. He reminds me of somebody like Kevin Shields. He's like a real guy that wants to make great stuff. So I was like, okay, like, let's go with Nick. And that proved to be a brilliant call uh, by Irvin because until he started making the movie, you would not have known that he was going to be that great, but he was brilliant. Uh, and then uh, Irvin, uh, Irvin brought in Danny Boyle at the right point. So Irvin's a connector mm. of the whole thing. So see, and the truth is, my friend, this is an Irvin Welsh movie. I just happened to be in it. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a lot to unpack there because so the, your autobiography came out in 2013, is that right? Yeah. And how quickly did Irvin get in touch with you and say, I want to make a movie out of this? Pretty immediately. Wow. But I never really thought that seriously because I never thought it was going to get made. Do you know what I mean? mm. It took years to come together. It wasn't overnight. I think we started talking about it when it came out 2014, right? Because it came out tail end of 2013, the book. Yeah. And then 2015, it started happening. And it wasn't until Danny Boyle got involved in 2019 that the money came in and everything happened. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, okay. So... That's that's the interesting part of this is because Irvin Welsh's connection here, um, and the the idea of biopics, especially with the last few we've had. You know, we had Rocket Man about Elton John, Bohemian Rhapsody with Freddie Mercury. That's won a bunch of awards. Straight out of Compton was a couple of years ago as well, which is probably one of my personal favorite biopics. That's my favorite. Yeah. So, the, the, but there was a period where biopics were happening, and with all due respect, they fucking sucked. The idea yeah. of having a movie about your life, was that a hard pitch for Irvin? No, he, it was his idea, to be honest. I, didn't, I had no idea that it was a film. I'm genuinely telling you the truth. I thought, I mean, I didn't even really want to do a book. I'll tell you how the book happened. Um, an agent came to me, and they'd been coming to me for years and said, there's a demand for your book. And I went, give me a break. There's no demand for my book, right? <laughs> And, 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 and he said, I'm going to go away and, and if I can be your agent, I'll go and get you a deal. And I said to him, 
unless it's six figures, don't even talk to me because I don't want to do it because I'm not doing it for 15 grand and writing a big book. So I'm not doing it. And he came back and it was six figures. So I snookered myself. So I was like, oh, I may as well take the money because I'm like, you know, I mean, I like, my, I like cash. So I'm like, all right, I'll take it. And that's how it started. Do you know what I mean? So I did the book and then I thought nobody would like the book and the book did not as well as the film, but the book did do well. Got in number one and I think it sold 26,000 in England, which is kind of told quite good. Yeah. Um, and, and at that point, I thought just a nice bit of business. Ka-ching, 100 grand. <laughs> Thanks very much. That was it. That's what I actually thought had happened. Yeah. And then, uh, and then the film happened, and then that's a whole different ball game, you know what I mean? And uh, now people are going crazy, you know. I suppose I'm getting off of, like Joe Wah because I'm sixty, but clothes deals. <laughs> like, are you wearing deals. them right now? Is the clothes is this a clothes deal right now? No, it's a Scotland strip, nineteen seventy eight Scotland. Oh, wow. I'm actually eighty two, but um, but I no, no, no. I'm getting off of all this mad stuff because the film's blown up. I think the film last weekend was a big deal in England, but it's, you never know because it's digital. But I do know that it's, it's like you walk down the street and little kids shout, you're the man. And I'm like, I'm not the man. I'm 60. <laughs> I'm bald and I'm sober. With the movie is out on April 15 in Australia. Um, yeah. And again, we just alluded to some of those films. Were you happy to have, I mean, obviously you've told the story in book form. Were you happy to have it told on screen? As you know, with some of these recent biopics, they kind of take the piss a little bit. They kind of fictionalise yeah. what happened. Yes, but it's not actually accurate, my friend. Do you know what mm. I mean? It's Evan Welsh's take on my life. Oh, that's fine. That's the nature of my relationship with Evan Welsh, so it's okay. And it's not, I, 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 I know he's not, he likes me actually as it goes out. <laughs> but um, yeah, I knew that I, what I was signing up for. I knew, I, I, look, it's an Evan Welsh film. I just happened to be in his film. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You know, I'm, I'm a character in his film. I mean, half of it, he gets to the places that these things happened, but how the, he says they happened, half of it's not true. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I want to talk about particular scenes, but I can't without spoiling things. But uh, probably one of the, the biggest, most notable scenes of the movie is how you found Oasis. Yeah. Was, the, I, know, I know the real story goes you were actually chasing a girl. You weren't actually there for Oasis. But the way that you yeah. were in a booth chatting to someone and then you kind of just turned and heard this band and kind of became transfixed, was that accurate? No. Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't miss a train. I was chasing a girl. Uh, I was downstairs, King Tuts was upstairs, I was downstairs um, having a drink. I was a bit pissed. Uh, I'd had about four or five Jack Daniels. Oasis had intimidated the security. Uh, they weren't, that, the bit is true is they weren't there. Uh, they weren't at the, the venue uh, booked. They booked their way on. The security came up to me and said, can they play? Because I had two, the other, the other two, bands and then the girl that I was chasing was in the third band so I was like because I'd, I'd been sort of seen her for five years mate so the bottom line is I was like and it was on off it was one of them and uh, so I was like oh whatever just let the scallies go and play well, that's what I've called them I don't know if you know that expression it's like little little hoolies right so anyway let the scallies just play for so I never thought anything of it man I thought Liam looked incredible but but I thought he was probably the drug dealer and um <laughs> 
and and and, uh, and then what happened was that they started playing. I was in a I was downstairs and I went, oh, I'll just go upstairs and just see what happens. Went up and they, they did a I can't remember what order, but they did rock and roll start up in the sky, bring it on down, I am the walrus. Do you know what I, mean? I think it was rock and roll star the start of the you know Um and at that point I then went and, and, and went went to the sound guy who used to work for me. Uh was was mates with him. I had a lot of people that were friends with him, but I didn't know them. Debbie, the girl that I was chasing, shared a rehearsal room with them, but she'd never told me. Do you know what I mean? So it was all this kind of mad stuff. Uh and I, you know, I went, I, I said, go and get the go and get the manager, no manager, go and get the leader of the band. No Gallagher uh, comes and you know says, All right, mate. And, and we talked and then we got on really well. I said, I'll put your records out. And he was like, Who are you? And I'm at creation. He went, Oh, love creation, mate, blah, blah, blah. So that's really what happened. But I suppose Irvin tells a slightly more, I mean, I missed the train and all that. Do you know what I mean? You know, it's just all that, isn't it? Coming up, Alan tells me what was real and what was fictionalized in creation stories. Steve Bell here. I present the Handshake Agency podcast, Rewind. Each series takes you back to a moment of musical heritage as we present oral histories about great albums of our time from the people who made them. If, like me, you have a geek-like curiosity about your favourite artists, track down Rewind with Steve Bell at thepodcast.com.au, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favourite shows. Well, there was a cool quote, and I was wondering if that's something you actually went by, which is, I'm not, what was the, it is, uh, I'm, I'm talentless, but I'm a situationist. Is that real? No, I've never said that. Oh, damn it. That's a cool quote. There's lots of cool things. I'm not that cool. <laughs> But there's lots of cool things that he says that he's probably in the cool quote. Like, you the bit at the end when he goes, be a rebel, be this, be that. I'd just say feed your kids. I would never say tell you to be a rebel. I'd say make sure you feed your kids, you know what I mean? So what about, like, this is me just now, like, going through scenes. Was it true that when creation was struggling, you could have gotten some help from corporate outlets, instead you went to loan sharks? Is that true? No. That's not true. Oh, come on. <laughs> I was thinking about lying there, but I thought I'll tell the guy the truth because if you start telling the truth, it's easy just remember, remember what the real thing is. And I'm like, no, it's, it's keep going, keep going. Was is what the scenes? I don't want to ruin the movie for everyone. Yeah, I'll tell you the truth. Um, okay, what about when? Is it true that as Oasis were really truly blowing up, that's when you started getting sober? So you weren't really around for the band really taking over the world. No, not true. But you know what's really mad? Noel Gallagher actually believes I wasn't there. But, I mean, I know he, I know he was taking a lot of drugs at the time, right? <laughs> but, no, I was out from February... I'd made the Oasis album, and then I got ill February 94, and ended up in, it ended up in hospital in Los Angeles. I came back, I went into rehab, and from rehab... I started mixing the Oasis album and Noel and Marcus, our manager, used to bring the mixes and I'd go, no, it's not right, do this, do that. And then I was back running the company October 94 and then I put out whatever. So I, I was, I, so I wasn't 
We launched the first album and it happened, but I wasn't out for three years or anything like that. I was out for like six months. Right. Okay. And one more of this trivia game we're playing right now. And Zig, who you would have just seen right before we started recording, happened to walk past as I was watching this scene. Is it true that you went to LA and you're in Compton and you ended up in a crack den? Is that true? Kind of. I mean, but I didn't go with one of the royal family. Do you know what I mean? Um, I... You know, that, I'd never hung out with that guy that Jason Isaacs is portraying. Right. I used to go to Los Angeles, get off my nut, and have three days getting off my nut. And I'd end up in cracked ends in Hollywood, actually, right? Not really Compton, but, 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 but the, the, ones in, the ones in Hollywood are actually crazier. But, uh, so it's kind of true, but that scene didn't happen. That's just nothing. I knew I used to go to cracked ends in, in Hollywood, do you know what I mean? Is the distaste your character has in the movie for LA accurate? Are you really not a fan of the LA scene, particularly the music scene? No, I like it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> but that's not been Welsh. That's what the thing is. Yeah. It's, been, it's like, it's as real as the Acid House. It's as real as filth. It's as real as train spotting. It's a film. It's entertainment. Half of it is just Irvin. Just riffing, man. So how much uh, input or say do you have when you're working on a biopic? Do they come to you with, you know, we want to know this about you, want to know that about you? Or is it very much, as you said, just Irvin just says, cool, thanks, I'll work off the book and I'll do what I do? Do you want the real truth? They give you a lot of money and they expect it to shut up, basically. That's what it is. And, and I basically was like, you know what? It's a funny version of my life. Just go with it. And you alluded to it earlier as well for, um, for people who, who might not know, uh, you and Bremer, Bremner, sorry, portrays you in the film, who is, of course, Spud in Trainspotting. He's kind of like a cult legend. Was he in your face yeah. a lot? No, he's posh, mate. He's, Evan would get really upset if he heard me saying that. But <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, you know, one of the things I actually struggled with the film was that, as you can hear, I'm not a particularly posh person, right? And Evan, Evan sorry, you and Bremner's a little bit posh. A bit... I suppose, though, for 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 an American audience especially, because you, you guys seem to understand Scottish people quite well, but mm. Americans don't understand anything I say. So having a slightly posher version is probably good, you know what I mean? So what did you, just going back to what you said about the LA Museum, what did you um, really like about it, especially when a lot of the creation stable were gigantic UK bands? What were you getting out of being involved in the LA scene? Uh, the weather. <laughs> Anything else? Uh, the women and the money. Yep. Don't want to elaborate? <laughs> no. <laughs> you need me to tell you. You asked me. I you <laughs> okay. Well, um, tell me this. I know, obviously, again, Irvin's kind of like run the, ran the ball with this film. When you sat down and watched it, what were your first thoughts or reactions to seeing your story or half story on screen? I loved it, but I, but there was there's things in it that I struggle with. Like I haven't spoken to my dad in twenty years. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And uh, uh, you know he's got me. He's got he's, he's, of all people, Evan Welsh has got a Hollywood ending in his in his fucking film. It's unbelievable. You know, da da da, and the end. It was all happily ever after. I haven't spoken to my dad in twenty years. Uh, I don't like. I don't love him, but I don't. I actually don't like the guy. Uh, which is worse, I suppose. Um, then a. Um, I don't mind Tony Blair. I think that was the last time the country was profitable, but he hates Tony Blair. Mm. I know Tony Blair. It's going to be an interesting next meeting with Tony Blair. But um, 
like, listen, I'm not bitching about it because, I, I mean, I think it's funny that it's just an Edward Welsh film. I'm just in his film. But when I came on this podcast you know, 20 minutes ago, whatever it was, I said to you the truth. I said, I'm just in his film. It's just, you know, as long as you just go, it's a funny film, only half it's true, then it's fantastic. Yeah. On a, on a slightly more serious note, um, do you recall, like, because I've read some interviews in the lead up to this and you said, like, one of the biggest regrets you had was ever drinking and taking drugs back in the day. Yeah. Be, in saying that, though, you, you, the creation was very successful. You were very successful, especially in that period as well, and I know it might be different in the film, when you're kind of coming back from, from being sober and coming back into the music scene, especially music scene where, you know, drinking and drugs and partying is very heavy. How did you handle that? Yeah, I mean, that's, that, that's actually pretty factually correct for everyone. Do you know what I mean? You know, that, that was difficult. Uh, I, I suppose I did struggle with, I, I mean, I lost it and, uh, I mean, everybody loses it, but I lost it and, uh, you know, it, luckily I, I managed to, you know, hang on to my money, hang on to my business, do you know what I mean? You know, it was, it was all right. Yeah. Is there anything in particular that you remember, um, especially, especially like in that part where Oasis are really, really blowing up and creation is well and truly back on the map and you're fine and you're maybe or maybe not having to, to work with loan sharks to fund things. What do you remember most about that period of time? Well, I can tell you what I don't remember. I don't really, bar signing Oasis, I don't really remember 1993. Right. The whole year. Just about. That was a blizzard, man. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I mean, that, that was the most insane year of my life. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think the whole Oasis thing and creation and everything, it was just a great, it was a great vibe. You know what I mean? I'm lucky to survive it and I'm lucky people are still interested. Do you know what I mean? That's, and, and with the end Actually, I don't have a problem with half only just being entertainment, just him telling. He kind of gets to the right bits in the end, just about, bar the bit with my dad, which I, I struggle with that part, but uh, he kind of gets to the right places. It's just how he tells it. He tells the funny version, i.e. what makes people laugh, rather than the, the slightly more boring version of what this is what happened you know yeah i do you still deal with and see a lot of the people you work with back in the day whether it be the bands like oasis or the everybody i mean it's like it's you know i don't think i'm in bad place with anybody for what i know um but i don't work with them if you know what i'm trying to say you know i do my thing they do their thing it's like uh I, you know like I'm still no prime i know i'm friends with no quite quite good friends with them. I, I talk to him a lot um uh, and Bobby, I'll always know. I grew up with him. Andrew, I'm friends with blah, blah, blah. Liam, I haven't seen for a long time. But I DJed for him about five years ago. He flew me out to Japan with DJ. Well, get on, everybody gets on all right. Mm. When you don't, in a music game, if you don't really work with people anymore, I, I think, tell you, you know, then it is what it is. But what was going to say to you is, I tell you the bit that, that, that lets you know that everybody's okay with us. Everybody gave the music to the film. If somebody had a real problem with me or creation, they wouldn't have put their music in the film, do you know what I mean? And everyone was completely on board and wanted to do it. Yep. Yeah, yep. That, that's great. So I think that's the biggest compliment because all it needs is know if he didn't want to do it, just to say, tell the publisher to knock it back. And you can't do anything about it. You need the license. So everybody gave us the music. So I, you've got to take from that that, Basically, people kill each other. You know what I mean? It's it's weird that I that I'm asking you these questions, considering you now have a biopic about your life out there. But what does it mean for you when you watch this film, or maybe read your own stories? You just have your own memories about finding these talents 
who were just a bunch of kids playing in a bunch of basements. And in some cases, like the Gallagher brothers, are now some of the biggest names in rock and roll. What does that mean for you and what, what you've achieved? Well, it just means that the label was probably bigger than any of us thought at the time that these people, I don't mean the Gallaghers, but Slow Dive, Primal Scream, mm. Teenage Fan Club, you know, right? They've all got, I mean, I could keep going, but they've all still got careers in music, you know, and they're still are touring and making a living out of being a band. And I don't know why our label signed long-term artists, but just did. It's mad, you know what I mean? So correct me if I'm wrong, you Creation uh, closed up shop in 2000 and you launched Creation 23 in 2018. Well, it's not really. It, it looks like that. You don't really know it. But Creation creation Records, Creation Management and Creation Songs, that's the publishing company, all started mid-80s and Creation Songs still exists, always has done. Uh, creation Management still exists, always has done. Uh, first band I managed was GSMA in 1983 or 84. Today I manage the Mondays, Las Vegas, The View, Kyle Faulkner, Cast. Um, uh, and it was Creation Records up to the end of the 90s. Then there was Pop Tones. Uh, and then, uh, and then and, you know, that went on. Pop Tones still exists, actually, as it goes. Uh, and then I started Creation 23. And now there's a new version of that called It's Creation, baby. Right. The majors are trying to say, you know, so there's always, I mean, I am creation. Creation didn't die in the, in the 90s. I mean, it's not, it's not just records we do. It's, pub, it's publishing and management as well, you know, and now yeah. a film, you know. Yeah, and we, we spoke briefly about before when you took a break. Was there ever a period in time where you just thought, fuck this, I need to get out of the music industry, or has your passion for it never died? Yeah, there was in the 90s, yeah. You know what I mean? You know, when I was ill, you know what I mean? You know, I was ill for about six months and it was really difficult. I just thought, why did I need to do this? Do you know what I mean? But then I came back because, yeah, I am driven by music, you know. So what, what makes you get out of bed in the morning now, having achieved what you've achieved? Podcasts. Podcasts, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry to make you do this um, so early. Yeah, I just love music, mate. I'm just glad that I've still... I can still do music and I've got a seat at the table, to be absolutely honest. I'm an old guy now, I'm 60, and young bands still want to work with me, which is incredible. They made a movie and young people seem to like the, they like the film. I mean, it seems to be really big in, in England. So, mm. you know, I'm glad that people are actually interested. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm quite realistic about it. It's difficult for old people to, and I'm old, uh, it's difficult for old people to have any kind of, sway with young people as culture develops so the fact that they, 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 they seem to like uh seem to like me and creation is good you know but it's, it's all good it's probably, you know? why do you think that is that like the right now there seems to be a real prevalence in in making shows and tvs about incredibly famous museums again we mentioned bohemian rhapsody rocket man straight out of compton there's a bg's one in the works there's a boy george one in the works i think there's a oasis one in the works danny boyle's working on the sex pistols miniseries right now why do you think it is that we want to see these stories told on TV and film now? Just, you know, we're in, it's a bit like your podcast. I mean, I mean, five years ago, who did podcasts? Now it's the, it's, it's what we all do. You know, we all love a podcast. I love walk. I walk everywhere. man. I love podcasts. You know. Well, Alan, thank you so much for coming on again. I can't wait for people to see this film. Um, congratulations. I know not all of it's factual, but I'm going to take it all as fact. Cause it's fucking great to watch. Yeah, I mean, what was really strange was I was on the BBC 
And Adrian Childs was saying to me, I've never met anybody that says their gran hates them. And I went, I never have. And he went, it's in the film. And I went, it's Alvin Welsh. You know I mean? so, <laughs> all right, my friend. Thank you so much, Alan. Appreciate it, man. See you, mate. Bye. Big thanks to Alan McGee for coming on this week's episode of the Green Room Podcast. And thank you for listening. Again, the movie is called Creation Stories. It is out in cinemas everywhere across Australia from April 15th. Be sure to see this one, especially if you're fans of those bands like Oasis, like Primal Screen. Uh, it's really, really great. And if you want to hear more episodes of the Green Room Podcast, be sure to head to thepodcast.com.au for previous episodes, including a bonus episode we released with Mr. Bob Odenkirk for his new film, Nobody, which is out in cinemas right now. If you like what you hear, check it out, and I'll talk to you all next week. Podcast from the Handshake Agency Network, produced by Neil Griffiths, recorded and engineered by Zig Parker, executive producer Craig Treweek.